Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have 7.7 trillion dollars worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is an economy of one with Gary Rathbun, president and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice. Free market voice of the US. Enhancing and protecting private wealth, Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one with Gary Rathbun. This is our country. Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Well, you remember a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the National Labor Relations Board trying to or attempting to put together a rule regarding joint employers. And this was brought up 30 years ago, 30 years ago with a company called Browning Ferris. They're a recycling firm out in California, and now they've been brought into the spotlight again. They have a a subcontractor called Leadpoint, independent company, that provides workers for one of their recycling plants. And the National Labor Relations Board, with the encouragement of, I'm sure, labor organizations out there, not to mention major part of Congress and certainly the White House, but the National Labor Relations Board consists of of five people, three Democrats, two Republicans, and they voted this weekend to approve a law that will classify contract workers, temps from different agencies, subcontractors, virtually anything that falls under the 1099 rules as a joint employee, meaning if you are a business and you hire workers from an agency, lease workers, very common nowadays, subcontractors, that kind of stuff, you could be forced into negotiation contracts for benefits, for wages, just like they were your own employees. Now, part of the motivation behind this was to encourage the practice and procedure of collective bargaining. No kidding. No kidding. This is the people that sued McDonald's a while back for not paying their employees $15 an hour, essentially said that 
McDonald's was exercising too much control over their franchisees. And because of all that control, they were considered employee of McDonald's Corporation and should be under union negotiations. Now, this has far-reaching implications, mainly from the franchise business, certainly, but also construction, hotels, just about anything out there has contract employees. How many firms contract their janitorial services? How many firms or companies out there contract their security employees or contractors? Most companies don't provide their own security. They have an outside security firm do that. Not anymore. Not anymore. That's going to be under a joint employer, so it's going to greatly change the template of that, not to mention really changing the template of franchisees. If you're a franchisee, you you pay McDonald's, for example. We'll just use McDonald's because they're in all the, the articles. You pay McDonald's a franchise fee. You build a building according to their specs. You provide a menu that is a McDonald's menu, and then you get the McDonald's brand. That's the key. Would you rather go out for fast food? Would you rather go to a McDonald's or a Wendy's or a Taco Bell or an R- and name it, name it. Would you rather go there or would you rather go to, you know, Gary's Hamburger Hut? Now, maybe my Hamburger Hut is a good burger, but you don't know. With a franchise, no matter where you go, I went to a McDonald's one time in uh, Germany years and years and years and years ago. And it was just like home. Food tasted virtually the same now. That was years ago. Nowadays, they have regional uh, menus oftentimes uh, in McDonald's. But the point is, I knew what I was going to get. So I liked the franchise at that time, and I like the model. If you're a franchisee, you need to exercise control over your employees, your wages, what you want done. Even though you're a franchisee, you have a lot of leeway in how you run the company. Well, this takes all of that away. And subcontractors, temp agencies, how many construction companies use subcontractors? That model is likely to go away. Now, in the Browning, Ferris, and Lead Point issue, each company had separate supervisors, had separate and distinct human resource departments. Lead Point recruited, interviewed, hired, trained their employees. They also chose which workers to dispatch through the recycling company and assigned personnel to specific posts. Lead Point also determined all the compensation and retained sole responsibility for discipline, review, and termination of workers. Now, how can that be classified an employee to the parent company? How can it be an employee to Browning Ferris? But according to this, 
It is. Now, is Congress going to overturn this? No. They will give it lip service, but they will not turn it over. Way back in March, National Labor Relations Board, if you remember, put together a new union election rule that was equally silly. Congress passed a resolution very quickly, making that rule none and void, and President Obama very quickly vetoed congressional legislation so the rule stays in place. One more example of this government. I'm not picking on Obama. He just happens to sit in the big chair right now. Congress is equally guilty here. One more example that the government does not want small business in this country. They do not want the independent small business owner to succeed in this country. All of these franchisees, everybody that paid money to become a franchisee of another company, those contracts are essentially overridden now. The NLRB is really saying you don't own your own business anymore. They'll no longer be in charge of your own business that you've worked so hard to build. Essentially just changed your whole template, made your contracts essentially null and void. If you've got a business, that you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. So I wanted to point this out because... This has to change, and only you and I can change it. I'm trying to do my part by getting that information out there. This is not something that the mainstream media has put out there. It's important. You have to communicate this with your Congress people. You have to fight this. This is uh, this is not good. This is not good. We want jobs created in this country. They come from small businesses. They do not come from big businesses. Most of the jobs are these mom-and-pop shops, franchisees, small companies, and the subcontracting companies as well. So it's critical that we are aware of this legislation. It's critical that you and I put forth effort to turn it over. This is not going to help our economy. It is going to help the businesses who build robots because that's what will happen. These employees, many of them will be replaced with machines because it's reaching the point where it's just not worth it anymore. Speaking of labor, Walmart is getting a little touch of reality from their recent change in raising the minimum wage for Walmart employees. But I'll tell you what, they won't be laying off their greeters. I'll tell you why next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back 
to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, it wasn't too long ago that uh, several companies, Walmart included, came out voluntarily and said, we're going to raise our employees' wages, give them extra training, that kind of stuff, and we're going to take the lead in our communities. Now, you and I both know, we both know that part of the motivation for Walmart to raise wages is to make it more difficult for their smaller competitors in those communities. Walmart's been in favor of raising the national minimum wage for years. And their thinking is no different than Saudi Arabia on oil. Let's see if we can outlast our competitors, and then, then we'll have a distinct market advantage. Well, they came out a while back, not too long ago, and said uh, everybody is going to start out with a minimum. I think it was uh, $9, and then it was going to go up from there. And Walmart is starting to, to feel a little reality to that because, as, as you know, virtually every business in existence, their number one expense is labor costs. So when you're looking to increase profits, one of the first places you look is labor costs because that's the biggest expense. How can we uh, cut back on that? And so they raise the wage. And uh, cost them about a billion dollars to raise their employees' wages. And now we read they're starting to cut back hours. Starting to cut back people's hours. They're encouraging people to, uh, employees, to take two-hour lunch breaks because they want them to stay late or, or do things. So take a longer lunch break so we don't have to pay you so many hours. They're trimming a lot of hours from different locations. Some locations are saying you got to cut as many as 1,500 hours out of your employee wages. Now, they they come out with a wonderful statement, and I'm not saying that uh, Walmart is being uh, disingenuous or anything like that, but they said the reductions won't affect efforts to better staff stores, shorten checkout lines, and improve cleanliness and stocking. But yet, we read different comments from employees saying, geez, what, my department used to have four employees, now I'm the only one, and people have to wait 30 minutes to get into a a cabinet that has material in it that's under lock and key. Now, you know, I've been to Walmart, I know bullets are under lock and key, you got to get somebody to come back and unlock those. I don't know what else is. I suppose it's something in the jewelry department and, and different areas. But I will tell you this, no matter how bad I wanted bullets, I wouldn't wait 30 minutes for somebody to come and unlock the cabinet. This is going to have some longer term repercussions for Walmart. And, and oh, I, I, I just had to put this in. You know, Walmart greeters, they're less likely to get laid off. Do you know why? Anybody know this? I bet bet you don't realize this. Why does Walmart even have greeters? Okay, they're generally 
generally, I'm not picking on anybody, but they're generally senior citizens from the community. And uh, you walk in and and it's welcome to Walmart, have a nice day, whatever whatever they say, and they hand you a basket or a card or, or something like that. And when I first saw that, I thought, well, isn't that nice a Walmart giving jobs to people that are kind of meaningless jobs, but yet it helps. But that's not the case. That is not the case. If you want to know why Walmart has greeters, here it is. You ready? I find this fascinating. I don't know if you do or not. But research shows that if you are greeted at the door when you come into a business, you are 80%, 80% less likely to shoplift. So Walmart has greeters not to necessarily help the community or give someone a job that that uh, wants a few hours a week or or whatever. They give a job to a greeter. They have greeters because it cuts down by as much as 80% on shoplifting. People walking into a store that are greeted have this nagging thought in their brain that they will be recognized or and they're being watched. And if you greet someone coming into your store, look them in the eye, welcome to Walmart, they're less likely to shoplift. So when it comes to cutting back hours, I sincerely doubt that Walmart will cut back on their greeters. Greeters make them a lot of money and uh, or save them a lot of money. Let's put it that way. So uh, in cutting back hours... They probably won't cut back the greeters. Now, all this stuff coming out on on labor, very interesting, and I and I gotta I, I gotta believe that it's not uncoordinated. We're seeing too much of this. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, President Obama signed saying that salaried people, if a salaried person is less than fifty thousand four hundred dollars that any hours they work over 40 in a week, the employer has to pay him time and a half. He more than doubled the requirement for overtime for salaried people. So all of this, once again, ties into getting rid of the small business owner. And it hurts, and we're going to see it in the jobs going forward. Up next... We're going to look at a California judge who I would classify as uber dumb. We'll talk about that next. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. In keeping with our theme of small business owners, in keeping with the theme of government attacking 
small business owners. California judge gave us one more example of dumbness out there from a regulatory standpoint. There's a judge in California that granted granted class action status to drivers of Uber. You familiar with Uber? I'm really not too much. I mean, I know what it is, but Uber is essentially an app. And you can be an Uber driver or you can be an Uber rider. And you simply download the app. Uh, I'm not quite sure how they make money. I don't know whether you pay for the app or the driver uh, pays for the privilege of of being a, a Uber driver. But essentially goes around the status of taxi drivers. If you've ever been in New York, especially on a on a rainy day, uh, start near impossible to get a cab anywhere. And so the Uber saw this vacuum and said, hey, you know, we'll put together this app. It'll hook up drivers and riders. Uh, you negotiate your own fees, uh, decide when you want to uh, pick individuals up. If you want to do it once a day on on your normal commute or something like that. Um, so anyway, there's some drivers out in California, uh, four, four drivers, by the way, that were granted class action suit status against Uber Technologies. And initially they sued for reimbursement of various expenses, since, such as vehicle maintenance, fuel, that kind of stuff. But now that it's class action status, they'll be able to go for a lawsuit against Uber on behalf of themselves and a punitive class of approximately 160,000 other Uber drivers in California. Any time, if you were an Uber driver, any time since August 16th, 2009. Now, think of the the ramifications of this. We talked earlier tonight about a uh, joint employer and how the National Labor Relations Board is, has uh, screwed up the, the business template for franchisees and, and subcontractors. Now, I mean, if, if this goes through, if, if they win, uh, I would suspect that Uber, the company, will essentially just go away. The only saving grace is in 2014, I don't know whether Uber had uh, rumblings of this happening or it was already starting to happen, but you sign up with Uber now, you sign up for an arbitration clause which waives their right the driver's right to be part of a class action suit. Now, it's it's fascinating because the 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 purpose for signing up as an Uber driver is essentially to be an independent contractor. You're your own boss. You do what you want to do. If you don't want to uh, be an Uber driver today. You don't have to be. You don't ever have to be. You can do it once. 
and be done. Now, the attorneys say there's simply no basis in the record supporting Uber's claim that some innumerable legion of drivers prefer to remain independent contractors rather than become employees. This is what we call a 1099 economy. And if you take that away, if you take away the the concept of independent contractors, now those of you that listen to me for a while understand my feelings about independent contractors, individuals, that kind of stuff. But this federal judge giving them class action status, um, that could be devastating for Uber. Absolutely devastating. Will it put them out of business? Maybe. Maybe. Once again, something the the uh, labor unions would probably like to see. You know, there was a lot of a lot of controversy in New York City uh, about the uh, taxi drivers with these Uber drivers. They're working cheaper. They're direct contact with the uh, rider ahead of time. A lot of advantages. But federal judge gave him class action status. Now, speaking of dumb things that uh, happens out there, this is another federal judge. Actually had a good ruling this week. The uh, dumbness of this is the reaction of the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers. Just this last week. A federal judge in North Dakota blocked the Obama administration's controversial water pollution rule. This is the rule that takes the word navigable out of the EPA's jurisdiction over waterways. You know, the EPA has jurisdiction over any waterway that is navigable. Well, President Obama's rule now says... Not only does it not have to be navigable, it doesn't even have to be wet. If there's dry land somewhere that water runs over occasionally, that's under the EPA rule. Well, 13 states filed in the District Court of North Dakota suing to block the rule. It was supposed to go into effect August 28th. And the judge, Judge Ralph Erickson, agreed. He essentially said that these states would likely be harmed if the courts didn't act and that they are likely to succeed when their underlying lawsuit against the rule is decided. So this is a major roadblock for the EPA and the Army Corps of Engineers that was planning to uh, put this all into effect, enforcing the waters of the United States rule, expanding federal jurisdiction over small waterways like streams, wetlands, farm ponds, that kind of stuff. Now, in light of this rule, 13 states suing, in light of this rule, the Obama administration says it will likely enforce the regulation as planned, arguing that the decision from Judge Erickson only applies to the 13 states that requested the injunction. Now, Erickson wrote, 
Once the rule takes effect, the states will lose their sovereignty over interstate waters that will then be subject to the scope of the Clean Water Act. This is far, far overreaching for the EPA. They'll be able to regulate anything and everything on your private property. The 13 states, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Colorado, Idaho, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Mexico, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. Now, the EPA press secretary said the agencies are evaluating these orders and considering the next steps in the litigation. Of course, they bring it out that, oh, the, the people have been, been uh, clamoring for clear drinking water. This puts the, the uh, rules, it allows big polluters to destroy pure drinking water. Okay, well, how does a wetland on my property affect your drinking water? It doesn't. Trust me on that. The agencies just ignore their their actions, the impact of these actions on individuals, private property, businesses. Now, speaking of the EPA, there's a farmer out in Wyoming who uh, legally constructed a pond to water his stock. Got all the permits from the state of Wyoming to do this. Got permission. Did it. And now the EPA has come in and said, no, nope, you can't do that. Don't care what the state said. And uh, you got to restore the land to its original condition. You got to get rid of the pond, that kind of stuff. And we're going to fine you, by the way, $37,500 a day. Already, this farmer has racked up $16 million in fines. Now, this coming from an agency who a few weeks ago dumped millions of gallons of heavy metal toxic waste from an abandoned sealed mine, I believe it was in Colorado or New Mexico, somewhere out there, right into the waterways, right into the flow of drinking water to California. And within days, EPA said, oh, don't worry about it. It's already cleaning up. Uh, The water is to its uh, pre-pollution level. Well, that would not happen to the individual. This is a pond on his own property. This is not navigable water. This is not water moving around. Nothing like that. EPA is out of control, my friends. Out of control. And our private property is at risk as well as our liberty being at risk. Ah, Up next... Up next, I will give you the secret, the secret to predicting the next market crash. And right here before you, I'm going to commit an act of treason. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. 
You know, I've been in the investment world for, oh my goodness, better than 35 years now. And uh, guys like us, we don't like to reveal our secrets. But for you today, I'm going to tell you the secret of predicting a major market crash. It happened in 1972. September 1972. I'm giving you my historical records here. September 1972, the Dow dropped 40% after this indicator surfaced. In 2008, this indicator came up again. And right afterwards, a Lehman bankruptcy hit, followed by a 30% drop in the S&P over the next three weeks, as well as a 6,000-point collapse in the Dow. Now, this, this indicator raised its head again just last weekend. And sure enough, this week, the beginning of the week anyway, market took a tank. What's the indicator? You ready? You got your pencils? Park your car. Don't do this while you're driving. Park your car. Write it down. You ready? A member of the Cubs baseball team pitched a no-hitter. Now, I don't know whether that's a criticism of the Cubs. I don't mean it that way. But in September of 1972, Milt Pappas pitched a no-hitter. And right after that, the Dow dropped 40%. In 2008, Carlos Zambrano, Zambrano, However you pronounce that, I'm not a sports guy. Pitched a no-hitter, and the market tanked again as well as Lehman went bankrupt. Now, if that doesn't bother us enough, this last weekend, Jake Arrieta pitched a no-hitter. So uh, the indicators are there. You've seen behind the curtain now. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Use the information wisely. Now, just as a, a, a further note on this, this indicator that very few people are aware of until now, the last time the Cubs won the National League pennant, 1945, two cities were destroyed by atomic bombs. Just, just putting that out there, just letting you know that uh, we need to look at these uh, these indicators, this is serious stuff. Actually, it's not serious stuff. I'm pulling your leg, although everything I just told you was true. I tell you this to illustrate that if you want to, if anybody wants to, they can decide on a message they want to convey and figure out something, some chart, some event some reoccurring event in history to correlate to that event. Correlation is not causation. We've heard that phrase many times. This is a clear example. This correlates no direct causation at all. So I hope you heard the whole segment and understand, or at least heard me say, I wasn't too serious about this. I just wanted to make a, a point with it. Now, a West Point professor, this is a professor at West Point 
educating our future soldiers. And he believes that the military should attack people who are critical of U.S. military operations, specifically professionals, legal scholars, journalists, and other people effectively spreading ideas that oppose war. He considers it an act of treason. An act of treason to criticize military action, to criticize the war on terror, to put information out there about, um, oh, innocents getting killed, civilians getting killed during different uh, uh, events. He does have high esteem for the military, which, as you know, so do I. I think these are some of our best and brightest Americans out there. Certainly the best and bravest and brightest Americans out there that put their lives on the line so that I can do this, so that you can do what you do. But this West Point professor is calling for attacks, literally attacks, on anybody that criticizes what the military is doing or what they're accomplishing. And he's not above using conventional and nuclear force and psychological operations. He even said that uh, in uh, uh, fighting the war on Islamism, that we should threaten Islamic holy sites. This is exactly what uh, ISIS is doing and and that kind of stuff, destroying history, destroying sacred, uh, revered sites. Absolutely incredible. What, What happened to the First Amendment of the Constitution. Well, you know, that's, uh, I, I shouldn't even ask that question. It just makes my blood pressure go up. Constitution has been been thrown away by Congress, by the White House, by the Supreme Court. It's no surprise to me that academia would throw it away also. I guess what it surprises me is that a professor at West Point, of all places, would say things like this. Anybody critical of the war on terror constitutes a treasonous opposition that should be subject to military force. So in that vein, I will criticize the war on terror. I will criticize the war on ISIS, Al-Qaeda. I don't think we're doing things correctly. I'm not in charge. A lot of people are happy that I'm not in charge, but... To call me a traitor, to accuse me of treason because of that? Why do we have a military if we don't have free speech? Absolutely incredible. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathbun. 
We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.